podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you in association with Powered 4 TV. So go and check them out for anything wrestling related, old events, new events when we come out of COVID, podcasts, you name it. It's all there at Powered 4 TV. So find them across social media. Guys, I just had uh, an amazing conversation with Stu here for Stu's Wrestling Podcast. What an amazing podcast that he does, and you guys should definitely check it out. You're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast. It's time for British Wrestling's Sharpshooter, your host, Stu Palmer. Warm welcome to episode 56 and my guest today is stand-up comic and the former owner of Future Shot Pro Wrestling, which is out of Manchester, Mr. Chris Brooker. Chris contracted COVID, but he's fine, he's fit, he's healthy. He had the symptoms, but he battled on through with it and he's fine. It's good to, good to hear that as well. It's really good. This is where many facets of the wrestling industry in the UK, culminating in a three-year stay, owning Future Shot Pro Wrestling. Some great stories there. We also talk about booking Mick Foley for the comedy tours in the UK in 2011, which sold out everywhere. Might add, I remember it being advertised. It was cool to hear from the man who set them up. He's also had Roddy Piper over. RIP Roddy Piper for shows too. William Regal. You'll get to hear about all this and more today on episode 56 of Stu's Wrestling Podcast with the Brooker man, Chris Brooker. Enjoy. A warm welcome today to my guest on Stu's Wrestling Podcast. It's Mr. Chris Brookett, the former owner of Future Shop Wrestling. I'm a big fan, sir, by the way. I've watched your career from afar with him wrestling, and I'm a massive, I'm a huge fan of yours. I'm a huge fan. I, I mean it. I totally mean it from the heart, that, Chris. I, I appreciate that. There's no, it's just, it's one of those things you'll, you'll notice, especially, and you probably notice this dealing with wrestlers, but it's also very similar with comedians, a lot of performers. It's very weird when someone says, I, I like what you do. I've been watching you because kind of my, your brain doesn't quite make that connection of what I do is in the public domain. And when someone comes up, <laughs> it's like I had to like years ago at Asda in, in um, Harper Hay, which is not the nicest place in the world. I had a guy who was on the checkout going, I loved your comedy mate. Just so I was leaving. And it freaked me out because it's, Obviously, what we do is in the public domain. But if you work in a sort of any kind of normal job, if someone comes up to you, if you work in the post office and goes, like in the bar, going, "Love your stamps, thank you." It's and it's sincere, but it's still that little part of it where we we love attention, but at the same point, we are kind of like, mm, "Don't look at me." So, the the artist. But thank you, thank you very much. Absolutely. Across across the UK scene, mate, and funnily enough, we we have met but five years ago, and it wasn't in the UK. I told you about this a few days ago when I was yes. asking for a bio and stuff like that nature, and I was having a photo with Spud, Mr. Drake Maverick, and you took the photo. You took the photo there in San Jose. <laughs> I think it was San Jose. It was either San Jose it was or Dallas. 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 Because I, did, I didn't make it to San Jose. I'm um, sorry, I didn't yeah, make well, the way to San Jose. Um, but yeah, Dallas. It was that that was one of those moments where. As a fan, I, I am very much the ape that got lucky. I, I have completely overachieved in terms of wrestling fandom. To to sort of have those moments during the day, being lucky enough to get to know Spud, Drake, however you want to call him, and just, oh, do you need an extra pair of hands at WrestleCon? He went, yeah. So there I was, just just hanging out. 
And every so often you have those moments where you just go, this is really cool. If I could go back to 15-year-old me or 16-year-old me who, who would just watch WrestleMania 8 and gone, at some point you're going to get a chance just to sort of play in the peripherals of this. It would have blown my mind. So, and, and WrestleCon, any, any, any night like that, any day like that, it's just like last action hero, isn't it? In those oh, hotels, you know, the scene where you walk, in, where Arnie's walking around and all these yeah. fictional movie characters are there. It's like, you just stood there and Billy Gunn walks past. And obviously you just go, you're huge. <laughs> and, and just, it was nice. It's such, it's, it's such a heartwarming day just to be there and just be useful. And Gene Oakland was sat next to us on one side and at one point and Kevin Nash on the other and Selena Vega with her tiny little dog in her handbag. It was just, it was, it was an incredible day. And just, and also mad that people that you meet people who have traveled as far as you to be there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. Such a unifying thing. Pen Pentagon was just walking around that day in his full regalia, mate. And I'm just yeah. like, obviously, it was at the height. It was at the height of uh, Lucha Underground, <laughs> wasn't it? And you're just yeah. like, this is incredible. It's just, uh, I, I was like pinching myself. I was walking about, <laughs> and I've done, I've done many wrestle cons over the years, but uh, that was one of the best. That was one of the best ones, to be fair. It, it worked. It felt pretty good. It felt like everything was where it needed to be. I love, I love the uh, the other thing that that, that sort of Pentagon. You know, El Penta Zero M just wandering around, just normal, going, oh, mate, Zero Mieda, John. <laughs> just, just, <laughs> just, just like normal as anything. Yeah. It's, it's, it's incredible. We, we live in a world where we, we can actually get that close to the people that we go, ah, and hold in, hold in such esteem. And it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's so, it's easy to forget, especially at the moment when there's not, there's nothing really happening. It's easy to forget the joy of being a fan. And it's still there, and it's and and remembering it. That's got me through some pretty shit times this year. So, thank you for reminding me. No problem, mate. No problem. It's it's great. I I'm a fan like yourself first and foremost. I've been since 1990. You know, it's just it's incredible. Chris, you've been going through some personal stuff. We spoke off camera. Now you've been in isolation. So yeah, just could you speak about how that's been? Because <laughs> I didn't know pre-interview. Oh. Until you told oh me. yeah, yeah, yeah! I won't touch the camera. I've sanitised. It's, <laughs> um, it's 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 been an interesting uh, to say. It's been an interesting year. Is probably the you know like the old Indian uh, Native American curse. May you live in interesting times. It's when 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 so isolation hit because my my housemate went and stayed with her mum because it made more sense for them. So I I spent the first twelve weeks of ice, of, of lockdown on my own. I didn't see another human being for 12 weeks. And thankfully I didn't go full Howard Hughes. I didn't end up with, with 18 inch fingernails and jars of my own piss in lined up on the shelves quite. I didn't have enough jars to be honest. Um, but the, the whole isolation thing, it just, it sort of, it was fine for a while, but then, so I, I got, I tested positive for COVID-19 on what date it would have been like um, a couple of weeks ago from today um just a bit of a cough felt a bit off color and went you know what i should be careful sent uh, rang up got one sent out stuck a swab in my nose which made my eyes water like you wouldn't believe um discovered that i have a very very good gag reflex which precludes me from certain niche erotica work forever um and sent it off and then got the test back like two days later i have no complaints on how the process worked 
I'm very lucky considering a lot of people have, have really hit a wall with it. And I had to just go, right, 10 days, 10 days from start of um, symptoms. I stayed out of circulation for about two weeks, just to be sure. Um, and I never got particularly ill. I was very fortunate, um, other than having a bit of a, a head cold symptoms and losing my sense of taste and smell, which was weird. Thankfully, it's back. Um, but, yeah, it was it – because was, I think the, the weirdest part was – when you start to get a little bit of normality back and starting to get out and mingle a little bit. And, and, and I got to go and do a couple of comedy gigs at, at distanced gigs. And I got to go out and, and sort of meet people outside and then just having it all taken away was a challenge. But, mm. um, you know, outside of spending far too much time scrolling through Twitter and, and seeing the world burn and running out of milk, I should have bought a four pinter. Rather than a two -pinter. <laughs> Didn't anticipate that, did I? <laughs> no. then, to be honest, I couldn't taste it in my tea anyway. It was just ah. like drinking hot water. So, you know, I've I've been incredibly fortunate, um, and and I've, I've come through it okay. And uh, yeah, it's it's I've I've come up very, I've gotten up very lightly compared to a lot of people this year. I must say, you know, all all things considered, my two industries have stopped. <laughs> you know, that's, it's not even a is it slow? No, it has fucked off completely. Um, <laughs> But I, ca I can't really complain. I've been very fortunate compared, certainly compared to a lot of people, uh, you know, roof over my head. Absolutely. And, and, and simple things. And yeah, I appreciate the simple things the way I didn't do like eight months ago, six months ago, you know. I'm glad you've come through, you know, you've come through the other end with it. It just goes to show with the symptoms, doesn't it? You've had it and you've come the other, you know, the other side. I know obviously it affects the elderly, <laughs> the elderly more, doesn't it? As, as we're getting to know, but I'm just glad you've come through it, man. Oh, I'm fine. And, and even as sort of a man in my 40s, I was joking. It's like, oh, are you, are you officially elderly there? No, I'm not elderly. I'm, I'm getting there. You know, I do complain at young people a lot. And, and you know, I think people who, who don't use their indicator should be sterilized. But other than that, I'm still a young person. I was, I was weird. It was the first person that a lot of people knew who'd have it. So, you know, getting to talk to my little brother who got married before me and passed a driving test before me, had kids before me, going, no, I'm first. This one's mine. You can't take this away. <laughs> I want to get. I want to get to. Obviously, you were you were in. You know, you were quarantined and that. Um, what were your views on future shop running the shows uh, the weekend before last? That's what I wanted to ask you first. The more current, of course. more of a current thing I wanted to go with first before going into the back history when you start oh, watching no. wrestling. Oh, we'll go current. We'll go current with this one. I want to know your thoughts. And obviously, now with the restrictions changing again since mm -hmm. then, just. What did you think about the show being run? What were your thoughts from your perspective? I will tell you, I'll, I'll, to, sort of, to understand how I feel about it, you've got to go back a little way here. Okay. Because the, it's not something that... The, so the management of Future Shot, the guys who are running it now, are tremendous. And they've been involved in it longer than I have. I came in, I, I took it over for a little while. It's kind of how it works. You sort of pass the baton every so often. I think three years... It's quite a long time to run a wrestling company just because however hard you think it is to run a wrestling company, it's harder. It is it is a full-time job in and of itself, even if you just run one or two shows a month. And it, it, it and it's because there's always something, it's, it's a self-employment thing almost, because there's always something you could be doing. It just nags and it eats away at you. And it's it can be exhausting. And as someone who hasn't always had, you know, the best grip 
on the bar of soap that is my sanity. You know, it was it had its own kind of challenges every so often. It kept shooting off the corner of the room. Um, so it's it's extremely hard. It, there's the process of sort of starting these shows was not something that happened two or three days before, or even a week before the shows happened. This is something that had been in place for months and lots of preparation, lots of time, lots of research. Nothing was done as a spontaneous thing. Nothing was done as a, do you know what? We just want to run shows and we don't care what happens. Um, which is why it, it does. I will never, ever tell anyone that they're wrong to feel that it is too run, too soon to run shows or that they do not feel comfortable going to, to shows or anything. That is a decision that you make and, and I have nothing but respect for it. It concerns me sometimes when people say they just want to go back to normal and do things like nothing is happening and that couldn't be further from the truth. I've seen the level of detail. I've been part of it. I've been part of discussions and, and everything was done as carefully as possible. And you can never completely eliminate risk, but it's, it depends on the philosophy with the whole, it's part of a bigger picture as well. It isn't just wrestling. Some, and I've seen this happen with stand-up comedy as well. And you see it in restaurants and bars and anywhere that's trying to bring back normal, norm, normalcy, normality, wherever you can. And I think it's important. There's, there's, there's balances. We're, whether we're going to flick a switch and, and have a, a miracle cure or a vaccine and we can make it all go away, which would be nice, or whether this is a gradual thing and we have to adapt, I think it's more likely to be that one. I think we're going to have to learn to live with it. And it doesn't mean being re reckless. And I wasn't reckless, even though I caught it. I was wearing masks when I was out. I wasn't mixing needlessly. I wasn't taking chances. I was sanitizing, washing my hands. You, you know, you can only be so careful, short from literally staying in all the time, which w was starting to drive me literally insane. So when when the the guys at Futurecock came to me and said, we're going to do shows on this date, how do you feel about it? I, my initial response was scepticism. And I said, right, I'm, I, I'm not convinced. And then it was through the conversations of the measures in place, the distancing, the restrictions on sales the, the the reduced numbers the the system around the venue uh because stock put on a guild hall is something that there's a place at future shops had a great relationship for many many years so being able to work with them and having everyone on board and everyone pulling together and even to the point now because i didn't make a big deal of testing positive for covid because to be honest i just I, I don't tend to talk about a lot of personal stuff like that online when that happened it broke my heart because it meant that I couldn't, even, even when I felt I was sniffling, I didn't leave anything to chance. I went and got tested. It was one of my main motivations for getting tested, which is because I don't want to bring that risk. I don't want to cheat the system. I don't want to break any rules. Every, being aware that everyone's eyes will be on you when you run a show, you know you have to do it by the book. You have to do it right wherever possible so i didn't get to go and be part of those relaunch shows i had to sit them out which broke my heart and good god it was a long day on sunday going oh, refresh twitter and just see what's happening um so i can't tell you what happened at the show no in good conscience because i wasn't there but i do know that everyone pulled together the the, the wrestlers the 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 staff the the people who who put the ring together um all the, all the, the men and women that make up that team everyone pulled together and the fans of future Shop faithful pulled together as well and everyone played their part in 
making it as safe as it can possibly be because then you hit that point you're trying to balance do we is it your risk and reward and you don't want to be for so many obvious reasons you don't want to be ground zero for problems you don't want people getting sick and you don't want people getting dying uh, getting dying you don't want people getting sick and having the worst possible scenario because I, I have friends and family who work in intensive care who work in gps who know and have seen this firsthand what it can do to people um so all the effort that went into it i i probably should have gone too long didn't read is initially i was very very skeptical and it took a lot of convincing and a lot of conversation so this was never something that just happened like should we run a show it's not, it's not the kids from fame going you know what let's do it right here you know it every everything right the way down to distancing the wrestlers from each other sanitizing the ring investing in supplies and making sure that it's done properly and there was always going to be backlash and i don't dispute that at all everyone's going to make their own decisions and i will never judge anyone for it but between someone was going to be first back and there was there's, there's a point between this and, and obviously the whole the speaking out movement as well there are people who feel that it was maybe too soon to bring the shows back everything that could possibly done would be done was done and it wasn't a spur of the moment thing and so far it feels like there hasn't been any sort of repercussions there hasn't been a disaster off the back of it um in terms of the next show you know um touch wood um, i'm fine now you know hopefully i can be part of it um but it's shifting sands at the moment not just for you know two weeks ago pubs were open at 11 you know mm. who knows what's going to happen next week but i also know that if there are new restrictions and those restrictions make it either impossible or unsafe or unviable or even illegal to run these shows then there won't be push back to the point of ignorance there won't be management going you know i don't care don't care and and that's the thing it it, it comes from such a place of love you don't <laughs> you don't run a wrestling show to get rich you do it because you love it you know i once once someone said why did you take over future shark and i said you know one day i got out of bed and thought to myself i have too many friends and too much money what can i do to put that right in one fell swoop i'll run a wrestling company and they all fucked off it's 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 a labor of love Absolutely. and that it's natural to be suspicious of, of of people's motivations and healthy i'd say to approach anything with a dose of cynicism um but i can say for me from anyone involved in it, and i'm not in charge i haven't been in charge for a while um i'm lucky that my my input is uh, valued that my opinion is sought and that i have a place at the table of discussion but the motivation was we miss this. We miss this so much. We miss doing this. We miss being a part of it. And giving a little bit, when things are so bleak, and, and having spent two weeks just refreshing Twitter too much and watching the world burn, it is so, it's so crushing at the moment. And being able to do some good and give some joy back I'm not going to go, ah, we're the saviour, not doing this Michael Jackson earth song. Thank us, everyone. We're doing this for the common good. I like to think that a lot of good came out of just giving that little bit of pleasure, that little bit of normal life, and giving the wrestlers who miss it so much a chance to compete, to perform, 
to interact. I know what it meant to them mm -hmm. to give the fans somewhere to go because there's nothing happening at the moment, you know, especially if you've got a family that's so, you know, how many times can you go to the park? <laughs> yeah. mm, you know, as long as they keep putting out new Pokemon and Pokemon go, that's how that works. But it's, that was my thing. I was skeptical. I feel that the risk and the reward kind of balanced out and it seemed to go very, very well. I'll never say how well it went because I wasn't there. No, but that's of course. How I felt, and that's how I feel going forward. So, it comes from a positive place and hopefully nothing but positivity will come from it. How many tickets were sold? Do you know, you know, what, what were they working on in terms of capacity for the venue? You don't, you don't I, I couldn't tell you. No, um, I... Mainly, mainly because it, like all entertainment venues at the moment, when you're selling tickets and I can tell like for um, the comedy night that I helped book, it depends on how people book their tickets. So you have to block people together. So if there's a group of say four, and everyone buys groups of four, then you can have more people in a venue. If it is, if everyone books single tickets and you still have to distance, you can maybe have like a quarter of the number of people. Mm -hmm. I will say, I mean, I know that the, the capacity was a lot less than it normally would be. And the Stockport Masonic Guildhall, it's not the, the O2. It's not, it's not the MEN arena, whatever it's called. It's, it's a very modest, cozy venue. But even then, I think it was it was well below half capacity because it had to be. So there was no yeah. fudging the numbers. There was no kind of how can we how can we fit more people in? How can we push our luck? Hence, hence adapting this brave new world where you run two shows that makes it cost effective to bring a ring because a, a wrestling show costs a lot of money when you start adding it all together. Um, so yeah, I I I, I, I couldn't I, I wouldn't want to commit to a number because I don't no of course to... yeah I just thought I'd ask you because I you know that, that's that's fine mate that's fine now I want to get to your star in wrestling with Grand Pro Wrestling in two thousand nine <laughs> how did that come about we're gonna go back a bit we're gonna go back oh, a bit yes. now, and I, I can't wait to hear about this about your back star. once again yeah, yeah. so so two thousand nine so I was. The, I thought I was old at the time. That's how life goes, isn't it? You go, I'm so old. And then you meet a 21-year-old who goes, I'm so old, and you want to burn them. Um, because, no, you're a child. Right? So, uh, 2009, I was 33 years old, and a friend of mine had just mentioned, who was, a lot, who was younger than me, a fellow comic, he said, oh, there's a wrestling school in Manchester. Do you want to go and look at it? And maybe we can go and learn. Because there's always that little part where he goes, I want to try it. Not out of any kind of, I could be the next big thing, but just kind of, I wonder, you want to tick that box. You want to go out and experience it. And I came up with the idea at, the, at that point of just doing a documentary about a 33-year-old comic. And it was about comedy and, and pro wrestling because the, the businesses are very, very similar. Um, once you get beyond the obvious kind of, uh, you know, to date, no concussions doing stand-up, right? Um, but... I thought, as a fan, uh, I'll go and I will learn. And I had a friend who would come and video the training sessions. And that was the plan, was to shoot this documentary. Um, and um, I did. I went along. And I'll, you know, to, to paraphrase the great Mick Foley, the only two problems were is that I hated it and I sucked, <laughs> you know. Um, but other than that, it was tremendous. Um, I, I wasn't an, I've never been an athlete. I, I was the stereotypical pick last for everything at school and every conceivable sport. I had no interest in that kind of stuff at all. 
Um, but I trained a little bit and it was interesting. So the, some of the guys who were there at the time, uh, Sam Gradwell was, had just started wrestling. He'd had his first match. So I got to start going to Grand Pro Wrestling and watch their shows. That's my first to get a feel for how it works. So going out to Hindley and sitting in the Monaco ballroom as it was, and just being part of this, this British wrestling thing. Cause I'd, I'd never really, I, I'd gone to some British wrestling years before. I used to go regularly to the Colston Hall in Bristol when, when all star ran there. Um, so that was back in the nineties. So I, I low key got to see some real bangers. I mean, like Robbie Brookside versus Dave Finlay. And I got to see giant haystacks one time and, and, and the Superflies, the Knights, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of amazing stuff. Um, but it was my first time at British indie wrestling. So I ended up, so going on to training and I got to talking to Johnny Brannigan and it just wasn't working out. I think what happened was a comedy promoter kind of got in my head and said, you do realize if, cause I've just gone full time as a comic mm-hmm. and if you're self-employed, you've got no paid sick time. And this, this promoter the best one in the world said, do you know, if you're hurt, you're going to, you can't make a living. You could just be screwed. And I like, and once you're worried, you can't commit. And then I think I hurt my shoulder, uh, just, just a mistake. And then I thought, right, well, I can't do this anymore. So I, I wrapped that up. And, but Johnny said, would you be interested in coming and doing some warm-up? Because my sort of day job as a comic, I was an MC, the compact. Would you like to come and do some warm-ups before the, before the show in Grand Pro Wrestling? And I went, yeah, sure, I'll come and have a go at it. So I used to go out before Richard Parker, the ring announcer, and I would do just a little bit of cheerleading, get the crowd up, get people involved. And it was, it was fun watching at the time because would you believe a small section of the fan base hated it, actively hated me. Who'd have <laughs> thought it? Who'd have thought it? It's, 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 it's hilarious that there were people going, it does not work. This is stupid. This is shit. Why don't they realize like on one of the, one of the, the uh, sort of wrestling forums and I sort of read it and it was like, so I, I messaged you and I said, are you sure this is all right? He said, yeah. Because all the guys were coming up to me saying, thank you. That made such a difference to the energy at the start of the show. So, you know, it's, it, it taught me a little perspective. There's, there's always going to be people, and, it, you know, one, one hates to generalize, but it almost always seems to be when something changes. You know, there are people who dislike change or difference. Mm-hmm. And I, I will always hold this over Billy Kirkwood and Jim Smallman, that I was doing this shit long before they were. You know? <laughs> Not as well, not good. No, <laughs> not no, no. Good doesn't matter. I was first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Suck it, you two. But it, yeah, it's, it, it just it, that was an entertaining thing to watch that play out because then when Progress launched, Jim's approach being in the stand-up MCing to ring announcing, mm-hmm. um, and Billy doing the warm-up before the shows for ICW were a huge part of making them. You know, you know something goes well when when people start imitating it. And there was about a year period where every ring announcer tried to be Jim Smallman and failed because they didn't. You don't have ten years of stand-up experience. No. So that so that was my thing. I did that for a while, but I couldn't keep it up because um, Grand Pro. In fact, I think it was still Garage Pro at that time. Were running on Fridays or Saturdays, and they didn't have the budget to pay me what I would make from stand-up. And if I get offered a gig that will pay my bills for that week, Absolutely. I have to take it. So it was just, I'll do it when I can. But I got, thankfully, I got busy, so I had to turn that down. I just drifted off. So that was, uh, I'd go to shows when I could, but it wasn't very frequent because weekends are like our bread and butter time as a comic. Once upon, in the old days, as we now call it. Do you remember them? Just, yeah. Um, 
so I, a, a few years later, so I was talking to my, so I, I stopped training, but the, it never leaves you. The, it always kind of eats away at you. It's like, I, I didn't, I wasn't a great athlete, but I had a good sense of timing. And I was good at remembering things and I was good at emoting and I was good at the performance side of it, if you say, if you like. And it always kind of ate away at me. I felt like I didn't really give my best. And I never got that. I really want to have that one match. You know, I want to tick that box. Right? And I was talking to my girlfriend at the time. And just sort of, it's, you know, those random little things that keep you awake at, in the middle of the night. And I talked to her the next day and I said, yeah, I just kind of wish I kept it up. Because the other actor was training at the weekend. I couldn't always make it because of gig commitments. And she said, well, why don't you go back and train again? And at that point, I was introduced to Future Shock Wrestling, who ran training during the week, as well as the weekend. And all of a sudden, it was like, <clears throat> you know what? Why not? What's the worst that can happen? So I did. I went and trained for a while um, and found myself getting back into it. And it was, uh, for a couple of years, I trained fairly frequently, sort of as, as much as I could. I got to do a couple of amazing seminars. I got to train with Jay Lethal, um, uh, who, who I got to wrestle for about five minutes. <laughs> at one point. And uh, proof how good Jay Lethal is that at the end I was going, Oh, I can do this. I'm all right at this. I'm pretty good. Then I got in the room with someone else I can know. I am shit. He's just <laughs> incredible. But it's, it's, it, and, and getting to do that and see, and working with people that I've admired. Um, so I got to train a little bit. And part of that was people often sort of, especially when you're in a wrestling company, come and go, How do I get involved? How do I get, because I think as fans, we all kind of want to be, <clears throat> excuse me, more than fans. There's that little part of us that would love to kind of be on the inside and be part of it and learn and, and see how the cogs work. Um, there was no shortcut for me. Right? I went as a trainee and helped at shows. I picked up litter at the end of the night. I put out chairs at the start of the night. I helped flyering. I helped postering. I did all the stuff that you do. I kind of, you know, the, the old pay your dues cliche. So I, and, and like one particular, like one weekend where I, I went from Edinburgh Festival where I did a sellout show with Billy Kirkwood and it was amazing. I got to be the big star. Then got on a train the next morning at seven to come down and put chairs out and pick up litter at Future Shock. And that's how you do it. And by being around people, they, they sort of trust you. They get to know you're a decent human being. Because I think like in most walks of life, you don't get your initial breaks by being good so much as not being an arsehole. Mm -hmm. And people go, don't, never underestimate how important it is not to be an arsehole. Right? Um, and then the opportunity came up to be part of the commentary team um, because the commentator they had decided to move on to do something else. So I ended up in the commentary booth, which I thought, this is going to be hard, but I'm a speaker. I speak for a living. I should be okay. And good Lord almighty, it was harder than I imagined. So I had, I had to start again from scratch, learn all of that. Um, and then sort of did commentary for a year, got to sort of be part of some amazing stuff, like during the rise of Zach Gibson, who was really coming into his own at that point, got to call the American Wolves versus... Um, uh, the models, Joey Hayes and Danny Hope in a TLC match, which was incredible. Got to call matches with Nikki Storm, now Nikki Cross. Mm -hmm. Got to know people. And what was nice was being accepted and people going, oh, he's actually, he wants to be good at this. And hearing people go, I like, thank you for getting this over and, and, and making, making things better. But what then happened is... Um, so Dave Rain was running Future Shock at that point, and he decided he wanted to move on. Because in fairness, he'd been running it for a long time at that point. I think he must have clocked at least 
five or six years, that's a long time, you know. It's like the opposite of dog years. It's just, oh, that's, that's, it's like 50 years of real time, five years running a wrestling company. And, and he said, would you be interested in taking it on? And I went, all right. And so I did. And then I, that became my responsibility. And I went from uh, just uh, sort of doing the commentary and, and driving things to shows because I had quite a big car. That's quite important to booking and promoting and and that was me for the next sort of three and a half years and in many ways it remains the best and worst decision i've ever made <laughs> what was some of your highlights as as owner and booking that's what i wanted to ask you for, in regards to future shot i know i know that that could be very broad oh it's, uh, it's, just some of the standout moments maybe if not saying you're playing favorites to people or oh no no sort of it's the there are moments what for me the most satisfying part was seeing a plan come together because i i i'm very much of the opinion that i i've i've kind of i've gone through my i love indie matches and i'm back to i love a story i kind of i think because i think that's a bit how certainly at my age you know you go you start off with your soft drug of WWE and it leads you to your harder drugs of all the indies and all the rest of it. A, a, a bit like, you know, you get into Bon Jovi when you're a teenager or when I was a teenager and it leads you to like heavy metal and you go, yeah, Bon Jovi's a bit soft. And then you hit a certain age, you go, yeah, they actually wrote some fucking bangers. They, they, uh, there's a reason everyone knows the words to living on a prayer, right? And, and I, I had a greater appreciation. I also had the chance to learn. Big part of it was learning. So getting to learn from Dave and... Sam Bailey and all the other folk and, and who, who, who know wrestling and learning from them about why, because as a fan, you come in with certain ideas. You go, it should be this way, this way, this way. And then someone goes, well, okay, you give someone what they want now. Why will they come back next month? And just planning ahead. So I love to plan ahead. I love the, the sort of the intricacy of going, right, well, if this does this, then this does this, then this does this. And feeling a moment come together. So some of my favorite moments were, like um, Sonna Durson and Sam Bailey's rivalry, the the storyline where there were lots of little seeds planted. And if you go back, you can see that everything makes sense. The moment where Sam turned on Sonna and then he'd announced his retirement and he went and hid in the commentary booth for about six months in the end. And we kept them apart. We just kept pushing it until they had their match, until they had their rival, which led to an I quit match. And that was... That was my goal at the end was it all has to be part of this story. Right? Um, <clears throat> then anytime you do something and you, you, you envision a moment, I love thinking in moments. And when the moment happens and it works is one of the greatest feelings in the world because it, 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 it just uplifts you. Like with the most recent example is Big Joe, who we used as a, as a, as a sort of, when he came in, he's always had something, this Napoleon complex guy who was an angry little man who, like White Goodman from Dodgeball is my, my sort of comparison. <laughs> he thinks he's a big shot. He he's witty, yeah, yeah, touche, you know. Um, so he's, um, as soon as I saw him, I said, there'll be a point where he is the biggest baby face we've got. He will be the hero to everyone. And it was a year's build of him coming out an open challenge every show almost every show and just losing and getting beaten and beaten and beaten and beaten and just gradually being broken down until we had a match where we sent out crater as his challenger and there's a moment where joe 
body slams crater and the place erupted there was a standing ovation everyone was on their feet and there was no faking that emotion everyone lost their minds in that split second because even though we'd had this journey with joe and we created this monster with crater who had never left his feet he hadn't bumped for years and feeling that moment where the body slam no one saw it coming everyone up on their feet even the slightly more jaded fans you know were just in that moment feeling it feeling it, absolutely losing their minds because there's a little chip on my shoulder as well going into that because i remember reading from someone else well you can't get that kind of reaction from a body slam these days and i just went saving that for later i am going to prove this person wrong and you can it's it was having those moments come together seeing beyond that then it was seeing guys like the young guns like jj webb or callum curry or or joe or holly barlow or seeing them come into their own and just grow as performers and see their confidence come in leaps and bounds and just feeling like you you helped give them that opportunity it's 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 like a selfless kind of thing because if you achieve something there's always a kind of little guilt to it you know unless you're a sociopath um but when someone else achieves you can just enjoy it so that was a huge part of it seeing that um seeing lana austin go from being quite new to wrestling still very committed very passionate to where she is now which is i genuinely think one of the best wrestlers in the world and probably the most important champion in future York history um and then beyond that the opportunity to book people and, and interact with them like i i don't think i'll ever be happier than having seen hacksaw jim duggan compete in a future shock show at the for the love of wrestling convention because again you can't fake that emotion you can go out and and create the most intricate series of moves you can create the most jaw-dropping athleticism but it you you put someone like jim duggan out there and he goes straight past he hot wires you straight into your emotional center and you cannot fail to enjoy it. you can't fail to have a smile on your face i had set myself a goal to one day book jim duggan for future shock wrestling when i took it over and the stars aligned at the convention and everything worked out and it was just every moment of that and just seeing getting to see damon lee and and joe and uh, and and uh, big t and thomas wolf and danny hope and chris egan and john mcgregor all get to be in there in with him and be part of that i had a, I had a smile on my face that practically hurt for the entire time that match was happening and it yeah again i've i've overachieved it i've been so fortunate to have so many of these moments and i might change i, I make mistakes you know i won't lie i made mistakes on the way and some of them were really expensive but i wouldn't change it because for all the bad the highs were absolutely incredible and and yeah i was just very fortunate that's incredible, man. It's nice, nice to hear your personal experience. You know, being the head, being the head honcho, the pressures. But when you've got a good team behind you, from what you're saying, incredible. There you yeah, got the that, guys. That's, that's the thing with the, with the team. I, if I'd had to start from scratch, I wouldn't have succeeded. I basically the machine was there. I was just. <laughs> I, I used to joke that I was like Ted Bundy and married with children. Is it Al Bundy? Not the serial killer. <laughs> Other Bundys are available. Not yeah, yeah. Like King Kong Bundy in Marriage. <laughs> it's like Al Bundy in that my job was basically to turn up and just go, here's some money, 
here's some money, <laughs> here's some money. And, and I played a part and hopefully helped. Um, yeah, I like to think it did. But again, we had so many good people and it's such a team effort. And that's wonderful as well because stand-up is a very solo enterprise and you make friends and you work together, but it's not a team effort. And every single time the team has come together, they've just blown, uh, blown away expectations. I want to scoot back a little bit in time again. I want to go to 2011, and you booked Mr. Mick Foley for a comedy <laughs> tour. You've booked other guys for tours, but I want to talk about Mick Foley initially, and then we'll go into yep. the other guys you've had the pleasure of booking for the tours over the years. So, yeah, how was it? How did that come about, getting Mr. Foley, the man, the myth, the legend, and booking him for a comedy tour across the yeah. UK, Mr. Brooker? Well, it started with a tweet, of all things. So often these things do, you know. <laughs> I love to say I slid into his DMs. So what happened is I I I was relatively late. It feels weird to say this about something that happened nearly a decade ago. I was a bit late getting into Twitter. I was very skeptical. Um, and then uh, a musician actually said, "Just look, you you have a brand. Go and promote it. Use it to get work." So I all right. So I did, and I followed Mick Foley, and he was still relatively new to Twitter at that point. And by new, his status, he only had like a hundred thousand followers, you know, and. He was over because he was with Impact uh, TNA at the time, and he would come over to do a book signing tour to promote Countdown to Lockdown, which was his, his sort of fourth book, his last book at, uh, so far. <clears throat> and I saw he was doing a signing in Manchester, and I went, hmm, I wonder. And he'd been dabbling in stand-up in the US. So I went, all right, let's see what I can do. So I went off and I got in touch with some various people that I knew. I went, could I get this venue from like 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock? I reckon we could sell like a few tickets and do a late show. And they came back and said, yes. So I, and, I, and I tweeted Mick and I just said, ah, real Mick Foley, um, would you be interested in doing a stand-up gig while you're in town? Because I know, I know people, I've got contacts, it's my business. And then, and it was a real kind of, I still had all my notifications on because I had like 20 followers at that point and didn't know how it worked. So like two in the morning, something was a boom. Real Mick Foley has followed you on Twitter. What the actual fuck? And then, because um, I was half asleep, I kind of went, well, that's kind of cool. And just drift off again. And then it went, boom. Real Mick Foley has sent you a direct message on Twitter. And I went, they do direct messages on Twitter. Boom. Okay, and I looked at it, and he just went, drop me an email, and let's discuss it. And, and I did, and it became, apparently, it just logistically wasn't possible, but it was that, okay, stay in touch. And we initially planned to do something in the spring of 2011. It just didn't pan out for various reasons. I think his, his contractual status was in flux at that point. And I went, all right, well, cool, stay in touch, and if something happens, it happens. Went about my business, and then around about August, he said, should we do this? And I went, okay and then learned how to run a tour. <laughs> that was Because I'd, I'd run gigs. I know how to run comedy. Um, but I, I sort of reached out to friends of mine who had more experience in touring. The venues were very helpful, especially Leicester Square Theatre in London, who went, yeah, you, you need to charge more for your tickets. And it, it just kind of fell into place from there. Um, and it, all the way through, my brain was kind of going, whilst dealing with the logistics of running a tour, and it got to the point where the ticket was going to go on sale. And there was a real kind of, well, there was risk involved. There was financial risk because you have to put deposits on venues. You have to make these commitments or it just can't happen at all. And there was that, okay, tickets go on sale. Three, two, one. 
and Manchester sold out in a day. London sold out in less than a day, and because it was absolutely new, nothing like that had ever happened. And and we were off to the races, and it just the tour came about, and it we we uh, sort of. <laughs> I had a horrible habit of talking to wrestlers, wrestling legends, whilst naked. This happened, unfortunately. I'll, I'll, don't worry, I'll explain. <laughs> uh, yeah, you need to explain that one, Chris. You can see it later. In <laughs> the, 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 we were sort of deposits because obviously we, we I paid a deposit to make to make sure he knew that we weren't just sort of going to be fly by night shysters, and it was all sort of transfers and timings and what have you. Anyway, he rang me from from somewhere. I can't remember exactly what it was. My first contact with him, he rang me. And the phone went at my end at like seven in the morning. I think he was in, on the West Coast in the States. So the phone rang and it was like, oh, it's an international number. I should probably ask, hello? And we had a conversation about like trying to sort out deposits or mail or something, something to do with FedEx, I think it was. And I went, oh, no, no. you know, you kind of wish that your first conversation with your hero is more like, well, this is rewarding. I, I've said cool things. He said cool things. We, we high-fived and the, and the world began, you know. Instead, it was me mumbling for a bit, going, I'm still kind of asleep. This is weird. Am I dreaming? And then realized, because uh, it had been quite a warm night, I was just stood there like bollock naked going, <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's weird. And then it happened again when I went with Roddy Piper. He rang me for the first time, literally as I was getting into the shower. And I got to the end and went, I've done it again. <laughs> I've done it again. I didn't mention it to them. I went, well, yes, I am naked. <laughs> Isn't this, uh, isn't this hot? Yeah, so, so it, it went, it, it just sort of happened. And, it, and I felt, again, it was this eight that got lucky thing. I very much fell into it. But at the same point, if I hadn't had the experience I had from stand-up, if I didn't know what I did about wrestling, it couldn't have come together. And we ended up doing two tours with Mick, which were just an amazing experience. Exhausting, because touring is just murder. You, you're on the road, but I kind of like it. I kind of like being out there. And and Mick was, when when they say don't meet your heroes, I say pick better heroes because Mick was a delight every step of the way. Um, was very kind, very very gracious with the fans, and as you can imagine, a, a great performer. And it it just it the fact that he chose to take a risk on me changed my life. Absolutely. I would not be doing any of the things I'm doing now without him. And it's, it's, it's still beggars belief. Every so often there's that little part of me that just goes, go back to, go back to the guy who, who, who saw this <laughs> even further, go back to 1992 and be the guy who watched Cactus Jack and the dangerous Alliance take on sting the Steiners and Marcus Alexander Bagwell on WCW pro, you know, go back and say, see that guy, you're going to do a stand up tour with him. And I'd probably said, what stand up? I don't want to do that. That's terrifying. So you know, just who knows where the world takes you? Who who else have you had doing the tours? I know obviously you fired some names at me for research. Yeah, just go into some of the other guys. It's quite the list. I want the listeners, the viewers, to yeah, hear about yeah, that it was, too. It was it was. So who did, who did I, I work with? It was. Um, and there's been ups and downs, right? So the, the next tour I did after after did two tours with him, uh, brought Nigel McGuinness over with his documentary. We did a, a, a tour with that, which obviously was a different scale to a different fan base. But again, wonderful moment in that we did a screening in London that his mum and his dad got to go to. Wow. 
And I think for them, it was really interesting to see the veneration he was held in. And I know, because his dad was quite a stoic guy, but he came up and he just shook my hand. And you know, when someone's not a hugger, but when they shake your hand, it's like, really kind of thank you so much for this. And I, I know it meant the world because Nigel's father passed away a few years ago now. So they had that moment together. And it was, it was Nigel and I are now like, really proper good friends which which means the world to me um then uh initially here's here's your trivia here's your trivia um we had a tour booked with gold dust with dustin Rhodes, um and then he went and had a show a fantastic show with wwe against the shield and got rehired uh-huh. the inconsiderate prick that he is <laughs> so we had to Changed it up, and that became Diamond Dallas Page. We did a tour with DDP, which again was, you, you don't sort of tour with someone like that and not walk away a little bit changed. Um, so getting to work with him, um, then uh, Mick had always been needling. We did a couple of smaller shows with Jay Lethal, David Richards, which were, were incredible as well. Um, and then uh, William Regal was put in touch with us by... Mick Foley, because Mick had always said, you're, you're very funny, you need to do this at some point. You need to try this out. And then I got the, I got the, William Regal is now following you on Twitter. Well, holy shit, there goes my day. That's the, I don't give a fuck what happens now. The rest of the day can write that off. That's, I'm just going to take the rest, I'm just going to lie down for the rest of the day. <laughs> and, 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 and again, so we, we ended up with like, because he was on the road with WWE at the time, I think it was 20. I like to say 2013. Uh, I think it was 2013. So he's still on the road. He was still wrestling at that point. Um, and he, he rang me and I always remember because I was driving through Devon to a gig and I had him on the hands free in the car going, Oh, this is Devon. They have one mass and I think it's in Paynton. So I hope the signal's okay. And he, and he, and I just remember him saying, well, we've got, we've got two weeks. Do you think people would be interested? Do you think we could sell tickets? And I went, well, yeah, I reckon we, well, let's try it. Might as well. Do you think you can find a venue? Yeah, I will find a venue. I will build a venue, you know? If, if we have, if I have to build a, 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 a marquee in a car park, and it turned out like the Glee Club in Birmingham, their smaller room, the studio, was available just the night after they had Raw and SmackDown at the NEC or, or the NIA, whichever, whichever arena it was. And I went, okay, can we do that? Smaller venue. Let's see how this goes. 30 minutes. Gone. Because, again, nothing like that had ever happened. And it just, bam, and it happened. And the show was fantastic. Um, And one of the little side benefits of this was getting to bring other people in who I've met through comedy. Because I never knew, when I was growing up, I was like, one of two people I knew who liked wrestling – Stand-up circuit, full of wrestling fans. Can't move for the buggers, right? To be able to reach out to people that I discuss wrestling with and go, do you want to... And I loved... And I rang them and I said, do you want to support Mick Foley the first time? And they were like... "Ah!" So getting Jim Smallman, Billy Kirkwood, um, other guys like Carl Hutchinson, Sam Avery, Sully O'Sullivan, and and going, come and be part of this. That, for me, was a big part, was being able to share this amazing experience. Um... So if you want to know who introduced Jim to uh, William Regal, twas me. <laughs> um, so the show happened and it was fantastic. And we got to do them sporadically around his schedule while he was over. 
and they were highlights of my year. Like the, I think one of the greatest shows, the best nights of my life, was at Leicester Square Theatre in London. A couple of days, uh, I think it was the day after they had Raw and SmackDown, and we had a show. It was myself and Billy Kirkwood hosting it. We had Matt Ricardo, who's an amazing variety performer, doing the the, the warm up act, doing the support act. Um, there was this guy called Dave Batista who was sat in the audience watching. Who it, it blew my mind and because he was, and again, it taught me a very important lesson because there was this perception at the time that Dave Batista was a bit of an asshole. He was a diva. He was difficult. He was hard to work with. And so it was like when I found out he was coming, it was like, well, this could be. Let's hope he's, you know, he doesn't have demands for like thread counts on the chairs or M and M's of a certain color. And it was, it was this wonderful humbling moment when I had to nip out before the show and, and very politely say, excuse me, Mr. Batista, sir, um, would you mind stopping signing autographs for people so we can start the show? Because <laughs> he was outside doing selfies and all the rest of it. And he came and he sat in the crowd with everyone else and was just a delight, sat and watched the show and asked a question during the Q&A and was, was, was glad. And this was before, this was like four months before Guardians of the Galaxy dropped. So this is before he suddenly became a huge household name. So it, all the way through, I've had these, I've had the joy of these little experiences that have made me kind of rethink what I thought I knew as a fan. And that's a little bonus as well. But so William Regal. Um, and then I think the, the last one I really did, because we've had a few shows with, with, with Miss Mr. Regal um, was with Roddy Piper. And again, that was an incredible experience, a roller coaster because Roddy is, you know, it sounds like a cliche. Roddy is Roddy. He is a very strong-willed, unique human being. I couldn't have imagined trying to deal with him in 1988, you know, <laughs> 1986 or 1984. Like, he, he would have been hard work. And yeah. he was very spirited, had very specific ideas of what he did and didn't want to do. Um, and by his nature, was whilst a lovely human being, was very suspicious of promoters. And I would be too if I was him. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we got to know each other a bit and he relaxed around me. And I'll never forget, despite the, aside from the fact that the shows were, were mind-blowing, was that the thing he was most proud of was being a dad, that his kids were his world. And, and just seeing the time he had for the fans, how, this is someone who, who at one point was probably like the number two star in wrestling. Absolutely. And, no, and transcended wrestling, you know, yep. who had so much time for all the fans and was so humble with the people that came and gave their time and money to see him, that he was a fucking nightmare as a promoter because it was like, you can't have a 10 minute chat with everyone, mate. Come on. And and he was, he was so delightful. And there was, I'll, I'll never forget like the, the venues that had multimedia arrangements, like the Glee club again in Birmingham, when people came in and they had their meet and greet and they went and sat down, I went, I wonder. So I went on my laptop and I found Hell Comes to Frogtown and just stuck it on the big screen. And so he was there signing for people and occasionally going, oh, you see this bit? This is where this happened. And you see this? And it's just, again, that little part of you that just goes, is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? It's, and, 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 oh, and the emotions were very strong. It, it, on the very last night of the tour, I had to make him go back and take applause. I had to go, right, go and take your appreciation, please. You know, just these people feel a connection with you. And you may have changed lives indirectly. People may have been inspired by what you've done and what you've been through. And 
and all the rest of it. And and he said, I don't think I'm going to come back. I don't think I'm going to be here again. I think this is my last time over here. And it was weird because it, it was. And then the news broke a year later, almost the yeah. day that he'd passed. And that was... Expect him to live forever, Chris, don't you? You know what I mean? These, these people, yeah. po- a guy that polarised everything. And uh, I, I was in the queue at WrestleMania Access the year he mm-hmm. passed. And they were late to the signing. And we were halfway through the queue. And we just knew it was going to get cut short. And I was devastated. A couple of my mates have met him, but... Oh, just incredible! Incredible your story, man. Incredible. I have a bonus for you. Bonus story. Okay. Sorry, yeah, so, I, I cut in then. No, 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 don't, don't worry. I'll just, it's just because if I don't, I'll forget. Brain bag of soapy frogs up here. It'll just do whatever it wants. Um, I during meet and greets again. Roddy was the uh, just a delight. He was the opposite of you know, won't make eye contact. He was the anti-Shatner, if you like, or the anti-Adam West, if you've heard those stories of them, apparently. So what would happen is that people will request, can you put me in the sleeper hold for the photo op? And he would do it. But because he's old school, he wouldn't, he wouldn't hurt you, but he would, he would grab you and he would go right there. And you would know, like, if you wanted to, good night. Right? Dublin, Dublin. I'm pretty sure it was, it was either Dublin or Cork. I think it was Dublin. Uh, no, no, it was Cork. My mistake. Not that it really matters for this story. So it was Cork, which uh, Irish gigs are my favourite. They're just a delight. Um, and there was a guy in the queue, and he got to the front of the queue, and all the way through he was a little bit boisterous and going, "Oh, I'm going to get him to put me in the sleeper hold. I'm going to get him to put me in the sleeper hold." All this, and. Fans generally kind of do the, oh, isn't this wacky thing? And uh, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> no, don't, don't, don't kind of say, oh, this is fun. And I think I wasn't privy to the moment, but I was reliably informed that when he was put in the sleeper hold, he kind of waved his arms a bit and may have accidentally hit Rod. And Roddy just went, okay, squeeze. Out like a light, literally. Because a sleeper hold is a legitimate thing. You compress the carotids. I've had, my brother does jujitsu. He once put it on me to show me like half strength. And I just felt my world go, ooh, purple. He knocked this guy out. And in that split second, I went, I'm getting sued. I am losing everything. <laughs> tremendous, yeah. tremendous. Uh, can't tell you what to do, can I, Rod? Anyway, so the guy, and he looked after him and he sort of brought him down. And then you can break, bring someone back just, slap on the back and they're like back in the room and thankfully this guy thought it was the coolest thing that had ever happened to him <laughs> you know i'm glad i didn't do a tour with ronda rousey she pulled his arm out oh can you sign my seven arm please and it's just little moments like that and and just again so lucky to be part of it it's incredible like that you, you've been so humble but intertwining the comedy and the wrestling that's what i've taken away and you know no one can take it away from you, mate. Honestly, it's it's incredible the stuff you've done with that. I want to go back to you when you first started watching wrestling. I've gone about this. I've gone the long way round to get to that's, the beginning. That's, that's fine. Will Will Tarantino this up or you know? Uh, <laughs> Tenet. I think Tenet jumps around. I've not seen it. I don't know what it's about, but there you go. Um, yeah. What What do you want to know? When did you first start? When did you first see pro wrestling? That's what I want to ask. Yeah, first time. My first. Yeah. Uh, see, see. Typically, for me, this isn't going to be a short answer. My first experience of watching wrestling 
would have been on a Saturday morning watching World of Sport when I was a little kid. I might have been nine, eight or nine, maybe even a bit younger. My parents didn't really have a TV when I was very young. Then we got one. And then on a Saturday, I would watch World of Sport Wrestling because it came on after the kids' shows on the Saturday morning and before like the, the, the real sports, the grandstand and, and, world, and all the rest of it. So I'd watch World of Sport. And I remember distinctly watching Dave Fit Finlay at the time. I remember watching him and Princess Paula coming out with the, the <laughs> what would now be termed incredibly culturally insensitive, a full Native American headdress. It's like, uh, don't get it. Fine. You know, it's wrestling. Go for it. And, and just watching that and remember some of the big daddy matches and just people bouncing off. Him. Um, and then that came off TV and I didn't really think of it again until 1991. Uh, a friend of mine had older brothers so he was my age so like 15 but he had brothers who were grown up and left town and one of them had sky which in those days was a bit like having your own private pool or a scrooge mcduck vault you know it wasn't commonplace right but what would happen is that this this brother of his would record like highlight videos for him off of off of sky um so it would be like highlander and the simpsons and the critic which i still think is underrated i love the critic um and some wrestling and wrestling challenge it would have been i think i pieced a lot of this together in hindsight and it was an episode where they showed highlights of a match between the warlord and davy boy smith the british bulldog and the bit that got me because before that i'd seen it i used to have i used to be I still kind of like video games but i had my sega mega drive I used to get the video game magazines i saw the reviews for the the sort of wrestling games i saw pictures and adverts and i saw the wwf superstars game in the arcade um but I never really kind of thought about it until I saw Davy Boy Smith lift up. And I, I will never forget this moment. He hit his delayed vertical suplex on the warlord. This guy who was bigger than him, like looked like twice his side. And he just picked him up and he just held him upside down. And that blew my teenage mind. And I just went, this is insane. I can't, Im how, how is this possible? And then my my friend Steve and I, we sort of bonded over this further. And he would get, he used to, because I didn't have any money as a kid. Uh, my, my family had nothing. We were really struggling. But he would get sort of videos occasionally. So I would get to go and watch like, first like Survivor Series 1988 uh, or or because I used to drip feed them when they were released through Silvervision. And then I got more and more into it to the point that I, I sort of begged, borrow and steal and I'd have different people I knew with Sky who could record a show or WrestleMania 8. I had my, my copy of WrestleMania 8 that I wore out. It was <laughs> like Sky Movies. More, more a pay, Sky Movies. Before, before Sky Sports was paid. Uh, was yeah, yeah, yeah. Like before they had the premiership. Um, and God knows what they showed. Probably WWF and plowing. You know, just, <laughs> you know, hacky sack. You know, world championships. And, and I... One of the things about nowadays is because there's so much wrestling and we can watch as much as you want. Like you've got your phone in your pocket. Oh, I can have everything WWE has ever done and impact and ring of honor and new Japan and all these indies. It's all there. YouTube's full of it. When you have so much of something, it doesn't necessarily mean as much. It's still great, no, but it no, doesn't no. mean as much. And having it rationed, good Lord, I watched WrestleMania so many times, that one, and it had advert breaks in it, that I knew the adverts that were coming. <laughs> I, knew, I knew which advert was coming. Yeah. And, and I, I watched 
Tatanka versus Rick Martel over and over. I watched the Natural Disasters versus Money Inc. over and over. And 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 you know, none of them were winning five stars from anyone. But it just it was it hooked me. And then SummerSlam that year, where weirdly, of all things, all right, there was a wrestler doing an appearance. I used to live in Somerset. I grew up near Cheddar. I used to go to school there. And there was a, a town called Whirl, W-O-R-L-E, Whirl, which, to be honest, if you've never heard of it, don't blame you. It's just outside Western Supermare. It's in that neck of the woods, near the coast. Um, and they had a WWF superstar in the run SummerSlam 92 doing an appearance in John Menzies. Remember that, eh? Um, John Menzies, and, yeah. Yep. Um, source of magazines and, and, and sweets and, and all kinds of stuff. So he came and did a signing and I got to go and meet him and get a signed eight by 10 and try to take a photo, but the camera didn't work um, and meet this person. Uh, and that was Hacksaw Jim Duggan of all people. So, so I got, uh, I got to, uh, he was such a nice man. He was a lovely human being. And I sometimes wonder if he'd been a bit of an asshole, would I still be a fan today? <laughs> and, and again, this ties back into the, the for the love of wrestling because I got to say I got to tell him the story and show him this 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 yellowed sort of. It's got it. This eight by ten. Absolutely, absolutely. The sign. It's dog-eared. It's not. It's never going to be a collectible, but it means the world to me. Absolutely. I got to show him this and say, "You signed this for me in 1992, right?" And then getting to work with him. Again, the eight that got lucky, it's, it's incredible. So that was my fandom, and then it just became, I got into it, and I, it just became comedians in monotasking, shocker, everything, just give me everything I can. By 1995, you know, 95 was the first year I really got obsessed when, and, and sort of Diesel, Diesel's sort of championship reign is off on the line, but that was my first year of, oh my God, went to my first live show in 1994 on my own, because winner, um, got my dad to drive me from Somerset to the Birmingham NEC. He went off to the pub for a bit, and I watched. <laughs> I watched One Two Three yeah, Kid and IRS and the opener, and I saw Davy Boy Smith and Bret Hart yeah. versus Owen Hart and, and Jim Neidhart in the main. And then that was the beginning. And then you know, <laughs> so 1994. And where are we now? 26 years later. You know. It's incredible. I, I was at SummerSlam 92. <laughs> I've, dropped that, I've dropped that in on the show many a time. I wish. Six, six I years wish old. I'd been six yeah. years old. Got the, got the coach from North Wales. Down, <laughs> down we went. Too fake on the way down, Chris. But you just can't, you can't beat it. And I also take away what you said about the internet age of it now. I would much rather go back to the times where you know, people were taping it for us, mate. That, that was yeah. what I was doing. I didn't have Sky, you know. Yeah. There was a bloke in Dad's work. He was recording it too for me. It's just yeah. mad. It's mad. I, I love to say, I, I'm also, I'm going to be absolutely honest as well. As much as I like to wax lyrical about nostalgia, I do not miss having to wait three days. Imagine now with your fingers in your ears. Oh, my days. And someone, someone ruined the ending of Davy Boy Smith versus Bret Hart from SummerSlam 92. And that person should be dead. You know, they said, yeah, Bret, uh, yeah, Davy Boy won. Why? Why are you ruining things? Um, so yeah, uh, while I will wax nostalgia, I am quite fond of just going. Oh wait, it's one in the morning. Boop, there we go. It's on. I'll, t- I'll watch it. So, 
Favourite yeah. match? Favourite match from WrestleMania 8? I'm going to ask. Now, I've got one, but I'm not going to say it. I'm going to let you do yours first. Do you, want, do you want to count to three? We'll say it at the same time. Like we're on a weird first date. Uh, I, I, hope, I hope we're on the same line to this. I'll, I'll do <laughs> Let's it. Let's find out. We'll do it okay, in unison. Ready, we'll do ready, it in unison. Okay, ready. One, two, three. Bret Owen Hart versus Skinner. Oh. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, I'm kidding. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Bret Hart versus Ronnie Piper. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, at least we're on the same wavelength for that one. And it had great yeah. matches. It had great matches, but that was the one. It was perfectly paced. It was the right amount of time. You thought Roddy was going to switch back to bad guy. Had um, everything. Had the blood. <laughs> oh, blood. It was, I, I think, as well. It, and again, the, the weirdness of getting to work with Roddy and being able to tell him this at some point. And I think it was over breakfast in a Chiquito's of all places <laughs> <laughs> to go... That that match, I think, was a big turning point. Me going from being someone who quite liked wrestling to this is the greatest thing in the world, and it was the journey of the match, yeah, <laughs> and the story, and even now, like watching TV, like the the closest there compared to now is watching the boys, which has really got me hooked at the moment because there'll be moments where I'm watching it and I'm so involved, I'm going, no, don't, oh for God, what are you doing? And it was like that watching Roddy with the bell in his hand. And I'll never forget Bobby Heenan just going, what the hell? Use a bell. That's what they said. <laughs> and just not wanting him to do it. And that's without knowing Roddy's history as one of the most evil men in wrestling for so many years. So, oh man, Roddy Piper and Bret Hart shortly followed by Ric Flair and Randy Savage. Um, and and it was it's such interesting that for, for a time in the wrestling business, it was kind of not, at its healthiest, there were a lot of bangers snuck away. And those two, just absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, incredible. This is like, to close out now, I'm going to ask, Chris Brooker's tips, and it's a general, general <laughs> generally with the wrestling business. I know you're helping people out with all facets of the business. What are Chris Brooker's tips? I know it's a broad question to ask you, but you okay. know. You're in a consultant. You're in a consultancy kind of role, aren't you? If we're going to say what you what you help it with helping people within the industry. So, yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, what what I, I feel like is I've 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 had a lot. I've, again, it comes back to good fortune and, and and luck. And I've I've been able to learn from some amazing people over the years. Um, getting to sit in a car with William Regal and just drive from London to Leeds and just talk and talk the business and find his perspective. Um, Spud, Drake Maverick, again, is someone who has such an incredible brain for this and to be able to sit and have long chats with him. But what do you think about this? And, 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 and people who are quite blunt going, all right, well, why are you doing this? That was the thing that I learned is why, why? And it's similar in comedy. Why are you saying that? And if it's not helping, why are you doing it? Get rid, you know, brevity is a soul of wit. Make everything matter. Um, so, getting to and and sort of like being invited to go to WWE tryouts in this country just before NXT UK was launched or even conceived to sit in on the promo tryouts and just listen to the feedback that they got from WWE to see how that process worked to learn and to to see what they look for and to see how that how that comes together so i've i've and then when i was in the states i was lucky enough and this again to, to the, the the pinnacle of Mount Lucky Motherfucker was was me getting the invite. I went over as part of a midlife crisis to the States for three months and went, I'm just going to travel and then see where it goes. But I started in Orlando and I got the call from William Regal who said, while you're here, 
would you like to sit in on some promo classes at the PC? And I said, let me think about that, yes. And, and, and I had to sit and calm myself down in the car park. I had to almost deep breathe and go, this is the mecca. This is just, even just getting in through that door is beyond anything I could have ever imagined. And I got to go in and sit on some classes with the guys running it, and it had transpired. So I stuck around rather than going. I went, if I can stay here and learn, I'm going to stay around and learn. So I stayed in Orlando for, for most of the time I was over there. And then one time, one time, it transpired that Raw was in Orlando. Paul Heyman was doing two days of promo coaching, and I got to sit and learn from Paul Heyman for two days. And I, it was like scanners. I thought my head was just going to go... Pfft. I filled two notepads, like big A4 notepads, thick notepads. When I say fill, I mean filled, back cover, inside front cover, everything, right down the spine, everything. I had so much knowledge. It was an unbelievable opportunity to learn from him as he coached folk like Shayna Baszler, like the Forgotten Sons, um, and, 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 and all, all, all this talent, Gargano and Champa, and, and just... All this stuff has kind of come together and, 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 and mixing that with what I've learned from stand-up. And my biggest tip, and, and I always say, if anyone comes to me for a, for a coaching session, everything I say is my opinion. There's lots of right ways to learn, and I don't claim to be the only person with answers. So everyone's got a different approach. This is mine. For me, it's based around my fundamental principle that connection is more important than content. Mm-hmm. And it's the same in stand-up. In stand-up, the best comedians with the cleverest material aren't necessarily the most successful ones. They have to care about you. You have to, you only have moments to go out there and have an audience have faith in you and confidence in you. Um, so you look at some, some of the, the most successful comics are good comics, but they're not necessarily the best gag writers, but audiences believe in them. And as a result, they have that connection. And I think that's the case in pro wrestling. And it's about feeling rather than thinking. And the best example, and it's come along at the perfect time, everything that Roman Reigns and J.O. Uso have done over the last three, four Absolutely. weeks. Absolutely. They've gone from, they've gone naught to 60, and it's all about how they make you feel mm-hmm. and that we identify with it. Because with Roman Reigns, we've all been on the receiving end of someone who's, who t- was sound once and is now like, hang on, you're being a bit of an asshole, but not overtly, and who says... I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this. But you know they're really doing it for themselves and they're just a bit of a dick. And we've all dealt with someone who, who kind of goes, I want you to do well, but not too well, okay? I kind of like that you're doing okay, but don't forget I'm better than you. And all those emotions, as we saw that play out through Jay getting his championship match, through, through their interactions when they teamed up, through the little bits of insincerity, the looks, it's all about feelings and all about emotion. And if you can inspire emotion and connection with a crowd, you've won. Because deep down, I think we all, no matter how knowledgeable we are as fans, we all kind of want to lose ourselves. We want to believe. We want those moments where you're on your feet because someone's body slammed someone. You know, We want to have that, oh, I can't believe you did that. Or you, you, sir, are a twat. You know, <laughs> we all want, we all kind of want to root for someone and against someone. And I think wrestling is at its greatest. And it's not to say that you can't have amazing matches where it's two guys just going out there and being competitive and the chance of both these guys, you know, fair enough. It happens. 
that the greatest moments, and it is about moments, those are the things that we remember, come when you want someone to succeed and someone to fail. And that, to me, is the holy grail of wrestling. If you... Comedy and wrestling are con tricks, basically. It's about confidence. It's about convincing people who you are and what you're about. And if you are... There's no mystery. There's no magical formula. It's just repetition and it's just practicing and it's knowing what you're about and once you're confident audiences crowds fans they get confident in you and then you can go on that journey together and you can make them feel elation it's how i describe wrestling to someone who isn't a wrestling fan is to compare it to leicester city's run because i'm not a football fan i don't know i don't understand real sport at all i'm half convinced a lot of it's fake um when leicester city won the premiership even people who weren't Leicester City fans were invested. Even people who, you know, apart from if you live in Derby, because, you know, Derby and Leicester, ooh, rivalry. Um, weirdly, about obsessed with sheep fucking. <laughs> if you, Leicester City went on a roller coaster, yeah, now will they? Can they? Will they? Oh, my God, they might. No, they won't. Yes, they will. Pro wrestling can create that story if you know what you're doing every 12 months, maybe even every six months or three months, and you can take people on that journey. And that, to me, is when it's it's absolute best. And when I'm working with someone and I'm coaching them, it's not necessarily about trying to go, this is how you do it, this is how you do it, this is the way. It's about drawing that out of them. It's about bringing that side of their personality. Whether they're, they, they want to be hated or loved, it's getting to the point where they can flip, they have a character, they have a personality, and it's based on who they are embellished a little bit but you can flip it and by emphasizing certain parts people will want to be on your side and by emphasizing other parts and roman reigns hasn't really changed he's just changed his focus he's just changed his direction and the usos when they suddenly became popular after they turned and you know down since day one ish when they became popular they didn't really change they just changed the way that they focused it and i think if, if someone sort of comes to me for a one-to-one -one session, the first thing I do is I talk about what they like, who they are, what they're into, what makes them happy, what excites them, what makes them angry, what, who are the people that, that lift you up, who are the people that have maybe put you down. And it's, it's without, <laughs> I'm fully aware that it all gets a little bit legs akimbo in theatre and education, and we're all skidding around the edge of Wanker Canyon with a lot of this language. But finding your motivation, finding out what really affects you personally, it can be really hard. It can be really draining on people because they're tapping into things like real emotions. But that's how you elicit those emotions, and that's how you create these moments like. Big Joe body slamming crater, like Roman Reigns standing over his flesh and blood going, I'm the tribal chief. You do not take my place at the table. And all of a sudden in that moment, everything falls away. And it doesn't matter whether you've been a fan for an hour or you've been a fan for 20 years, you're living that moment. And that's what I, I, want, I want to leave it better than I found it, is the old cliche. I, I, I just want everyone to be able to tap into that and have those moments. So, you know, if you want to do that, <laughs> good, good context there of everything. No, very, yeah. I'm sure people will take that away mm -hmm. with them. And yeah, good, good, uh, good tips. Absolutely. Right, Mr. Brooker, where can we find you in terms of social media? Where, where are you? 
Social media. I am. Uh, it was my nickname in university when I had a column in the, the Student Union magazine, The Brooker Man. That was my column. It is on Twitter. It's on Facebook. Uh, Chris Brooker, comedian. If you look for Chris Brooker uh, promo coaching, that's on 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 Facebook as well. I am working on a website, but then so is everyone at the moment. So that'd be it. Um, if you're on Tinder, you know, obviously, Tinder <laughs> swiping right. I'm good. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, if you're on plenty of fish, just kind of move on. It's just not what it was. Um, but yeah, just uh, drop me a tweet, drop me a DM if you if you're interested in maybe seeing what I can do with you. Um, drop me a DM, ask me a question. I'm always happy to have a chat about it. Um, yeah, and 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 just send me otters, gifts of otters, <laughs> like otters. Mr. Chris Brooker, stand-up comic, former owner of Future <laughs> Shop Wrestling. He's been around every facet of wrestling as well. I consider you a national treasure. I do. Oh. oh. I mean, in the sense that I'm dated and was taken from a foreign country that was formerly a colony, then yes, <laughs> yeah, I'll take that. So <laughs> that, that was praise on my end. <laughs> uh, I can't take praise. I can't handle it. So, yeah, I'm going, thank you. That's what I need. I meant to say. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you for sparing the time, man. I'm glad you've got past the COVID as well mm -hmm. in, the, in the more present times. And uh, yeah, it's been absolutely brilliant. I've loved it. Just the humbleness from your side and what you've done, what you've achieved. It's, uh, it's, it's brilliant. It's remarkable. It's remarkable from my standpoint hearing it. It was lovely. Great. Really good. Mr. Chris, Mr. Chris Brooker on Stu's Wrestling Podcast today. Thank you very much, sir. My pleasure. Podcast Network.